This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 62. On today's episode, we are going to talk with life coach and best-selling author Kate Swoboda about making courage a habit and what that actually means for each of us. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Living Well, Spending Less, and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including my newest book, Do It Scared. In today's episode, we are going to be talking to life coach and author Kate Swoboda about what it means to make courage a habit in your life something that you actually practice daily. Kate is the creator of YourCourageousLife.com, director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification Program, and the author of The Courage Habit. She is dedicated to helping people see where their old fear-based habits are keeping them stuck and then create more courageous lives by getting into what she calls The Courage Habit. And you guys, let me just tell you how excited I am for this episode because I think there are so many parallels between the work Kate is doing and the things that we talk about here at Do It Scared. She has so much insight to share, not just on what it means to be courageous, but how to actually practically apply the habit of being courageous to your life on a daily basis. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about taking the steps that will help us make the necessary changes every single day so that we can create a life we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean we're never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared, but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path is going to lead. All right, so just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, you can get all the show notes for this episode and links to everything we're going to talk about by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 62. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash episode 62. Also, if you have any questions or you want to share feedback on this episode or request something that for a future episode, a future guest, message me on Instagram or better yet, tag me in your story. And if I share your post, we will send you a Do It Scared t-shirt. All right, guys. So without further ado, I am so honored to introduce you to Kate Swoboda. Kate, welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. It is awesome to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. Good. I think you might actually be the first person that I've ever met who is obsessed as obsessed about helping people (laughs) overcome their fear as I am. Seriously, there are so many parallels to the work that you've been doing and to what we talk about here at Do It Scared, what I'm talking about in my new book. And I am excited to dive in with you. But first, because I think it's always super important to understand where people are coming from and where they've been 
been before they're here to wherever you are right now. Um, can you just tell us a little bit of your story? Where did you come from? How did you get interested in this topic of courage and overcoming fear? Hmm. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things like in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, it was always brewing, but I'd say it really came together for me. The, the, <laughs> before I was a life coach, I, you know, I was a, a teacher and teachers of course don't make a lot of money and, um, living in the San Francisco Bay area where rent is really high. Um, somehow I, I got, this crazy dream that I wanted to go spend the summer in Italy, like, you know? Um, and so I, I began like trying to figure out like how I could make that happen. I wouldn't be able to teach summer school, which means a loss of income. How was I going to like, you know, I can't just not pay my rent while I'm in Italy, all the things. And I like scraped and pinched and took on odd jobs and did all kinds of things to make it happen. So I'm in Italy and I totally had fear about going like, what if I'm the first person in the history of the world who, you know, puts all this money and time into doing this. And what if I like, I don't know, hate Italy. And I'm like the first <laughs> person in the world who isn't happy walking around, looking at the Duomo and eating gelato. But, <laughs> you know, fear gets very irrational, as I know you <laughs> talk with your people about. Yes. So I'm in Italy and I'm having the time of my life. And I say something about that on um, social media. And in what I call now the great gift to me, I got this wet blankety person who was like, well, not everybody can da 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 Yeah. And the reason it was a great gift is because I happened to know this person well enough that I knew ballparkish how much their income was. It was double mine. Huh. They were in a dual earner household with no kids. Oh, so wow. we're, you know, we're easily talking six figures of income between her and her partner living in a part of the country where real estate and rent were half at least of what it is in the Bay Area. Plus, this person would have had three or four weeks of paid vacation each year, whereas I was totally operating at a loss to go. Right. I was like, so um, I call it the great gift because in that moment, it hit me that that I had just been willing to take the risk to lean into the discomfort. And I began looking back over my life and going, oh, my God you know, like courage and leaning in and going after what you want. It's not like you wait until you're not afraid anymore before you go after it. You do it scared. Yes. You know, courage yes. is feeling afraid. I've heard yes. that before somewhere. Somewhere, right? <laughs> somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. So that was like the moment when it coalesced, when it really came together that there's an actual way of living that I had been choosing. And I, in fact, then it was like, oh, I want to get even more conscious about how I choose this. Cause I can see that this person who made this wet blanket comment, like they're not a bad person. They're just, that's their fear mm -hmm. saying you can't do this anyway, even yeah. though this person had like triple the income as me, yeah. not as much overhead as me paid vacation, which I did not have. So it was just like, Oh, where else in my life? Am I just, I'm not conscious in this moment, the way this person is not conscious in this moment. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So it was just this moment you decided to go to, you were actually doing it scared and seeing other people not realizing that there was this, this fear. And so then how did that get you to, how did that get you from being a teacher 
<laughs> to now doing what you do, be, being an author, a life coach, coaching other people. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big well, shift. Yeah, it was a huge shift. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm the poster child for did all the right things, checked all the right boxes. You know, I didn't come from a, a rich or a well-resourced family, but like I came from a family where we didn't have things. So we had to be scrappy and DIY and like, you know, get those scholarships to go to college. And so I did. And I, I got the scholarships, got out of college, went to grad school, got out of grad school, got into the job I had intended as a teacher. Um, and, you know, it's how I opened my book, The Courage Habit, is I, you know, at the time was very pragmatic and very practical. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, came to California, didn't want to be too woo, you know, air quotes, you know, that was like a derogatory term. Now I embrace it. Um, but I was sitting in this meeting that I, I think, you know, it was the last day before Christmas break and I'm sitting in this meeting and my colleagues are talking about everybody taking on a project over Christmas break that they would have done by the time we got back to Christmas break. And there was infighting and politics and all that. And like this voiceless voice came up, which I think of as my wisest intuition. I don't want to do this anymore. And at the time I'm sitting in this meeting and I'm panicking a little bit, like, can anybody else tell, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like since when? Yeah. You know, like Like every choice I've made. Yeah. How long after your, how long after your Italy trip was that? Gosh, let's see. So Italy was a summer and this was Christmas. So probably about six months. And oh, so pretty soon after that was well, the Italy of- trip was the the connection I made about courage mm-hmm. and and really seeing that it was like a lifestyle orientation to decide that you wanted to you know I define courage as feeling afraid because nobody gets out of that part diving in any way because you don't want to be stuck and transforming and transforming is always what happens when we you know feel the fear and do it anyway when we do mm-hmm. it scared so. That was like a realization about an an orientation to life that I wanted to have. The big realization I had after sitting in that meeting and going, I don't want to do this anymore, was that I couldn't outwit my fear. I couldn't outlogic it. I couldn't outrun it. Um, And in fact, that pushing it away was really a waste of time and really counterproductive. Mm-hmm. That the fear could kind of like ride sidecar and what I wanted to do is not let it dictate my choices mm, and that I, I needed that. to actually feel more of the fear. I needed yes. to cry. I need to scream into pillows because fear is not logical. It is primal. We feel it. So we need to actually feel it instead of trying to constantly clamp it down. Yes. Oh, so good. Okay. So your book is called The Courage Habit, which right away I just love because I am completely obsessed A, with overcoming fear, and B, obsessed with overcoming habits or creating habits in your life also. So can you just start by explaining exactly what you mean by the courage habit? How how does that work? Well, it's a four-part process, and process is really important because it's not steps, for being with fear. I'm actually not into overcoming fear. I think fear is a wound that doesn't know how to express itself in any way other than telling you either don't do that, people will laugh, or you suck. You know, don't, you know, it's, it's risk management is all it's doing. And if you heal a wound, 
Um, that's, that's really all that fear is seeking. It's your best friend with really lousy communication skills. <laughs> so, um, you know, the book is about, okay, like you're going to have fear. Let's just accept that that is a fact of life. But what is not helpful is to try to either avoid your fear by trying not to feel it, ignore it, to placate it by trying to do everything right so that it won't come up or to attack it. Like all the memes about kicking fear's ass and stuff like that. Like the research bears out that that those approaches actually do not work. Mm -hmm. What does work um, I found in the research were four specific behaviors that if you can interrupt your fear-based habits and replace your, your fear-based habits with these behaviors, you will create a courage habit. And those four behaviors emerged from the research as being uh, uh, accessing the body. So getting into the feelings, which we've kind of already touched on listening without attachment. So this is the big thing. Like you don't do it scared by just like tell that fear to shut up and do it anyway. It's like, no, you actually need to listen to the fear Mm -hmm. and what it's trying to say and do it anyway. Um, reframing limiting stories, which is not positive affirmations. And I can go into more of each of these, um, Mm -hmm. in a little bit. Um, but it has a ton of like clinical backing in like dialectical behavior therapy, narrative therapy, reframing limiting stories, and then reaching out and creating community. So those four parts together form a process that you can utilize to engage with and stop getting stuck in old, unconscious, fear-based habits and start creating courage as your new habit, your new way of orienting to life. Yeah, I love that. So, and I like, I love it because one of the things that you, and you just, you just said it, you're careful about explaining is that you don't believe in being fearless or trying to get rid of your fear. And, and I also did not mean did when, when I said overcoming fear, like to me, that's not getting rid of it. To me, that's learning how to not let it do it scared stuck. and not let it keep you stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with you there, but that begs the question then, because if we're not getting rid of it, what do we have to be doing with it instead? Yeah. Well, we're not letting it control our lives and then we're also trying to heal it. So, mm-hmm. um, like I, I love taking, by the way, like audience examples whenever people ask me about this question. So if there's anybody like listening live on Facebook and you're like, uh, raise hand here. I got like a thing. Um, cause <laughs> I, I learn best through examples and most, most people do. So like, let's just take the example of, um, a big dream is you really want to start a business, a photography business, let's say. And every time you have tried to start this dream photography business and let go of the soul sucking job and all of that, it's like you, you feel the fear in your body. You feel panicky. You feel nervous. You feel excited too. But then like the fear comes in and this voice in your head starts saying like, there are already a million photography businesses out there. You know, like I get this with, I, I am the director of a life coach training program. And like, I get this with people like, aren't there too many life coaches? Aren't there too many, you know? And so your fear starts kicking up with, oh, there are too many. And Mm -hmm. it's already been said and done. What's the point? So then you back down. So that's an actual habit that you've gotten stuck in. Their habits in the brain, the way they work is on a cue routine reward loop. So we're talking not just like you know, you're sitting down, taking out these component parts. Like this is just happening subconsciously all the time in the background. Right. So the cue of fear pops up, you go into a routine and there are four specific fear routines that I find are most common and you get a reward and people might go, well, what's the reward if I back down from my dream? That's not a reward, but it is in the short term. 
to the part of your brain that is monitoring stress and going, I need to get to less stress as quickly as possible here. When you back down, that part of your brain's like, Ooh, okay, we got this. So what you're trying to do instead is you're trying to actually recreate that entire process so that instead of feeling fear, going into pessimism, perfectionism, uh, self-sabotage, you know, that, and to get that temporary reward, which always ends up in, you know, you not really going after the long game in your life, you're feeling that fear pattern. Then you're going, wait a second, I feel afraid. Let me access the body. Wait a second. I feel afraid. Let me reach out to a member of my community. Wait a minute. I feel afraid. Let me listen without attachment. Let me reframe limiting stories. So good. So good. And that's, I actually found that so fascinating about your, about your book and the work that you're doing, because you talk about these four common fear patterns that tend to keep people stuck. And this is, this is like right along the same lines as the research that we've been doing for Do It Scared that, and what we discovered is that the way fear manifests itself is a little bit different for everyone, but there are definite patterns. And for, for us in our research, we call it the seven fear archetypes. So can you describe your four common fear patterns? You actually mentioned a couple of them, the saboteur, the pessimist, the procrastinator, which is so funny because those are actually the exact same names for two of our fear archetypes. Um, And then what's the last one? Well, the four are perfectionism, people pleasing Mm -hmm. or martyrdom, pessimism, and self-sabotage. And we would put procrastination under, I I put it under the umbrella of self-sabotage. So pessimism, people pleasing, perfectionism, self-sabotage. Okay. And I always say we all do all of them at some point, but usually there's one that like hooks us the most. So I'm like, yes. you know, raising my hand perfectionist here, like, you know, go into overwork because it feels vulnerable to go, what if this fails? You know, total, you know, perfectionist behaviors. And I think the more we recognize what our patterns are, that is what actually keeps them from running on autopilot and continuing to be habits that just get reinforced over and over in that cue routine reward loop in the brain. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I say about the the seven fear archetypes. And we I call it the procrastinator slash perfectionist because for mm-hmm. it, like the way that I describe that is the the perfection perfectionism is another word for procrastination. Mm-hmm. Um but um, the, the martyr was exactly like our people pleaser. The saboteur sounded very similar to the outcast. And so I'm just so curious, like, did, I know you took the fear assessment, you, right. You took our fear I assessment did, yes. and you said you were a rule follower, which that is one of the, the ones. And then there, we also have the self doubter and the excuse maker. So where do you think those would fit in to those different patterns? Hmm. It depends on what's at the root because, you know, for me, putting procrastination under self-sabotage instead of perfectionism is that there are procrastinators where it's not about trying to get it perfect. It's about they're just too scared to even start, you know? Um, Right. So, you know, rule followers, hmm. I probably under maybe under perfectionism now that we're talking about it. Um, I mean, <laughs> I feel like it's it's nuanced about it's about like how people are engaging with their fear in particular that like f- for me sets up the different designations. And I think about the things that people tend to say, the things that that 
the behaviors people tend to avoid versus the ones they gravitate to um, within each of these frameworks. But yeah, I mean, like definitely there's overlap. I was, I was surprised to get the the rule follower one. Cause I don't, I, I mean, like, I know my husband would be like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> Kate is like, Oh, you said that couldn't be done. Oh, well then you watch me now. Well, you <laughs> here we actually, go. Actually, <laughs> when, when you were talking earlier, I was like, Oh gosh, that's such a rule follower thing to say. When you were saying I did all the things the way I was oh, supposed to do it. Yes. And yes, yes, yes. I followed, I followed the path that I was supposed to take. That is like classic rule follower. Rule follower wants to have the path. And for the rule follower, it's this, it's, almost the sphere of like stepping outside. And it sounds like what the work that you've, like you had this epiphany. And so my guess is that like your percentage on the rule follower is probably fairly low because it, it scores you on the our assessment, like scores the, like the extent to which it's probably affecting your life. So maybe there was a time in your life where it was probably more prevalent, but you've, you've done all this work on courage. So it's probably, I would say it's probably like affecting your life less, but yeah, there was some, there was some definite rule follower patterns. I gotta say anybody who's watching or listening to this right now, like get your butt (laughs) over to Ruth's website and do the assessment because yeah, this is really, it's really interesting. Um, I did notice on the assessment too, that for the majority of the questions, I felt like I was either totally agree or totally disagree. There were very few mm. where I was just kind of like in the middle. I was like, eh, it could go yeah. either way, you know? So, yeah. so that, that was, I did notice that because usually, yeah. It's funny. It's yeah. And the, I mean, the assessment, I don't know how much you know about the, the stuff we've been doing with Do It Scared, but we actually did this huge research study. We surveyed over 4,000 people to develop the, the fear archetypes and really like started finding all these patterns of the way that fear was manifesting itself. And then also worked with this um, research team and psychologists to develop the assessment um, so that it was, it's like, there's so much science that goes into create, to creating an assessment like that. It was crazy. Like we could talk about it forever. I don't want to take up, take up your time, but it was just, you have to ask all the questions like in multiple ways, multiple ways, yes. positive and negative in order to confirm the results. And you can have to make sure that there's no bias in the questions. Like it's, it's crazy how much goes into it, but yeah, it's been really fun to see, to see the results for people and to start and to see how, how it's impacted because exactly like what you said, um, those fear patterns are, like it's all about identifying how fear is manifesting itself in our lives and seeing what, because so much of it happens. And I don't know if, if you feel this way too, but I, I feel like so much of it happens subconsciously without us even realizing it. It's these habits that are ingrained in us that we don't know, like that we haven't recognized. We're just doing it. We're doing it on autopilot, which is exactly why, like, I love the, the Charles Duhigg references and like, that's exactly what happens. Well, they become identities. they become like yes, how many exactly. times have you heard someone say, "Oh, I'm, I, I'm a total people pleaser," and it's like, "No, yes. you're you actually yes. were not born a people pleaser. This is a behavioral habit <laughs> that you have practiced for so long that you've taken it on as an identity. Same thing, perfectionist. That is a behavioral yes. habit that you've done for so, and it's like you can change a behavioral habit. And you yep. know, if anybody has ever changed the time they wake up in the morning. Um, you know, the route that they take to drive to work or to school, 
um, you know, you can change these. And like the first time you, you, I'll, I'll use that as an, a continued example. You know, the first time, maybe in the first couple of weeks that you take a new commute to get to work, maybe if like a highway or a road is closed, so you have to do it for a little while. It feels weird. You feel gritchety. Why do I have to go this way? Oh, there's a, da, da, da. but like then you might start to see some of the like kind of interesting things about doing it a little bit differently. And then after mm-hmm. a while, it's kind of like, it's just as if I've always done it this way and behavioral (laughs) habits really can become that way. Yeah. It's so, so true, but it starts with really like starting to see them and spot them and go, Oh, okay. Now this is something that I want to start to change. Yes. So good. I love that you're into the research of it too. I totally feel like you and I could geek out over coffee and I could like slide my, my textbook on the psychology of courage, which is actually being studied within psychology. Like what's the difference between moral courage versus emotional courage. Emotional courage is more like Brene Brown. Moral courage is more like if you see someone stuck in a burning building, is it like part of your moral code to run in and try to save them? And I would totally talk to you about that all day long. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> well, now we're going to have to go out for coffee and geek out on Exactly. <laughs> Google, a Google Scholar date. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So one of the things that I really love about what you're doing with the Courage Habit and what you're teaching is that it's so practical yes. because basically, and you kind of touched on these, these four specific behaviors that you can start practicing to live with more courage. So can you go deeper? Like you touched on them all, but I want to, I want to hear like deeper. How do you actually implement that in your life? Okay. So, um, again, think of these as a process, not steps. Steps go in a linear order process. You might double back. You might start with one, but not the other. You might only use one. You might use them all. Although from what I see of the research, when you use them all, that is the most effective implementation. So first, um, access the body. You know, we've we've been talking about it already, about how, you know, fear is primal. You feel it in the body, so you have to deal with it in the body. It's not logical. And there's a way in which our culture tries to promote this mythology of, like, keep a cool head and think logically about what needs to be done when a challenge comes your way. Like, you know, and I find that to be very like machismo, patriarchal, and not actually very beneficial, especially as more and more research comes out that says that when you subvert your emotions, you end up doing damage to yourself emotionally, psychologically. It's Mm -hmm. not good for your health. So access the body. That can be your standard meditation practice if you want it to be, but it can also be Uh, deciding to do what I call conscious crying. So in the same way you sit down for 20 minutes when I am reading the news headlines about yet another school shooting and I'm worried about my daughter going to school and I've got stress or I've got this or that coming in, it's all kind of piling up. You alleviate some of that stress by going, okay, for 20 minutes, I'm going to put on a playlist of like the saddest music And I'm literally just going to like a meditation practice, sit down and like, think about the things stressing me out and cry and it's conscious crying. And then the timer goes off. Yeah, totally. Does that work? Oh my God. I'm not a, I'm not a crier. Oh, I I swear by it. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I I swear by it. I'm absolutely fascinated by this. In fact, it's like kind of a joke on my team because if anybody cries, I'm like, don't don't do that. Don't cry. Like, I just do not like it. But maybe I need to try that. Maybe I need to just have a moment. Yeah. I think it's vulnerability. And, you know, um, huh. they're just, you know, and it's not just crying. 
um, you know, the metaphor that I love is one from the Challenge Day organization. And they talk about how if you imagine that there's like an, a balloon that is in is within you that captures emotion, and what happens to a balloon that gets too full of air? Eventually, um, it's going to either leak, and that's where we get road rage and we get snippy comments, we get resentment, we get not really feeling very passionate or fulfilled, you know, not you know feeling kind of meh, or it explodes. And that's where we get, you know, people just completely losing their temper and, you know, stuff like that. So what we need to do is we need to actually release some of the air from the valve consciously. And that's how I see a practice like conscious crying. I'm really probably going to weird you out now because another practice that I promote (laughs) and and do myself is um, anger discharge. So screaming into pillows, hitting Mm -hmm. pillows, things like that. Like we are emotional creatures Um, and we could learn a lot from toddlers, frankly, you know, we shouldn't take our emotions out on people, but like toddlers don't suppress emotion until they're taught to Mm -hmm. by the culture around them. And I think there's a way in which, you know, I mean, I cry at least a couple times a week when I'm frustrated, (laughs) like it's, it's a way of not Mm. keeping that stress inside of ourselves. I'm more of a yeller. I can't. I could get on board with that one. Actually. There you go. Yeah, like screaming into a pillow. Yeah, yeah. I could, well, accessing I the body can be anything you're doing to really get <laughs> okay. connected and accessed I got into I got your it. body. I'm yeah. going to consciously scream into a pillow. You could also, <laughs> <Make that> work. <laughs> you know, I, I'm big. I like. I love a good clean and jerk at uh, CrossFit. You know, CrossFit's my jam. Throw around oh. some barbells, lift some weights, running, exercise. You know. So it's, it's what gets you into your body and what gets you mindful. I love that. That's so good. Okay. So that's number one, physical stuff. Yes. And you, and you had a much better way of putting that. <laughs> Accessing the body. <laughs> we can call it the physical body. stuff too. Physical stuff. Yeah. Physical stuff. Yeah. The show notes, it'll all be on there. Um, <laughs> so what's number two? Listening without attachment. So we need to stop mm. abusing our fear. Speaking of habits, if it is a habit within someone to tell your fear to F off or shut up or go away, that is something you were taught to do with your own feelings and it was abusive. And if you abuse your internalized critic, you become the abuser. You are becoming Hmm. what you practice. And one of the ways I like to really send this one home is to imagine for any mother if you, if you talk to yourself like, God, you're so stupid. Why did you even bother? You might talk like you're to yourself like that or allow your critic to talk to you like that. What would you do if you found a teacher at your kid's school was talking to your kid like that? Because like me, I'm like mama bear is on lock and we are driving to school right now to have a conversation. You do not talk to my <laughs> child like that. So, so why do true. we do it to ourselves? If a teacher did it to a child, we go, that's an abusive way to talk to someone, but we do it to ourselves all the time. So you've got to stop with the abuse. You've got to stop telling your critic, shut up, go away, F off. I don't want to hear from you. That is not, A, it's not effective. None of the research bears out that that's an effective approach. Hmm. And B, it just wounds that wounded aspect of yourself even further, like only a Hmm. part of ourselves that has been hurt in some way is going to lash out like that. So we need to heal that part of ourselves. And we do that by listening, but not getting attached. And a great example of what it looks like to listen, but not get attached would be if you're walking down the street, 
and a drunk person, clearly drunk guy, looks at you and is like, your hair's blue, your hair's blue. You will hear the words. You might feel some discontent that a human is speaking to you that way or that, you know, some worry about like kind of what's going on because of the surroundings. But do you actually walk away thinking your hair is blue? No, you're like, I'm listening to the words, but I'm not attaching to them as mm, truth. That's a really and good that example. is a really important thing to be able to start doing in yeah. order to unhook from getting controlled by fear. So how does guilt play into that then? Is that kind of the same thing? Like feeling guilty or feeling like you don't deserve something? Is that part of the same messaging or is that something different? I've always loved Brene Brown's um, delineation between guilt and shame. I think the critic is very shaming and guilt is more about a misalignment with our own integrity and our own internal compass. So uh, when she talks about the difference between guilt and shame, she'll talk about things like, um, and I hope I'm accurately representing her her examples here, but you know, if you have a night of heavy drinking, you wake up hungover the next day, uh, guilt is going to go, I did a bad thing, a thing that wasn't aligned with my values. Shame is going to go, I am a bad person. Ah. I'm a piece of crap. And usually the critic is using shame to try to control someone's behavior, to tell them they are not enough, not worthy, um, incapable, that they'd be a selfish jerk if they did something they wanted to do for themselves you know, all those sorts of things. Um, gotcha. Even when people don't go after things because of pessimism, like it wouldn't work out anyway, or who am I to? I, I think there's an element in there of feeling shame about, um, you know, kind of the, the, the state of the world as it is and, and, and watching people fail, watching people not succeed and feeling a sort of fruitlessness around that. Um, but so I differentiate between guilt and shame in in very much the way of Brene Brown. And I'd say the critic is more shame based. Mm. So that so, but then it's the same thing applies: is to listen without judgment or Attaching. without attachment. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So that's and because two. this is process based, it's like mm. if that becomes too intense, you go back to let me access the body. This just feels like oh, I need to cry for a minute. I need to take a walk. I need to meditate. I need to you know, yeah. yeah. So what's number three? Uh, reframing limiting stories. Uh, I love this one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not law of attraction. Um, I don't knock positive affirmations if that's what works for someone. If if it does, if that's what, you know, jams, you know, for someone, then great do what works. But most of the people I've coached and I have to say myself, um, trying out positive affirmations as they are traditionally taught of like, if you don't have any money in the bank going, I have a million dollars. It's like some little part of me is like, you don't believe no, it. you do not yeah. like stop. Yeah. And what I did find in the research was that, and this is why I call it reframe a limit, a limiting story. You know, fear is inherently a story of limitation. So we're reframing it. And with the, the psychotherapeutic technique of cognitive reframing, which is backed by, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy and narrative therapy and dialectical behavior therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. we're really talking about, I don't have any money in the bank. Um, and probably the critics saying, and, and like, you're a total failure. When people find out, you know, you don't have any money, they're going to judge you. And you being able to go, okay. Like that's an actual thing I'm afraid of. Deep breath. How do I reframe? Somehow there's a way out of this. 
That's the reframe. So it's not going from, I have no money to everything is perfect. It's, I have no money to, I'm at least willing to look at what my options are. Right. Or I have no money to, it's time for me to reconcile how I got here. And that might mean asking hard questions. Or I have no money to, I'm going to talk to a friend and ask them how they got out of a similar financial situation. But reframing it into something positive that is something that you can believe and that you can yes. like help yourself believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think of it like lily pads. Like if you have a pond you're trying to cross and it's a long way across the pond, like if you if you just get like one little stone or lily pad across the pond at a time, um, you know, that'll get you there. Yeah. So true. Okay. So what's the last one? Reaching out and creating community. Ah. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. So if you access the body and you're like, oh my God, I'm doing the ugly cry and like I'm kind of scared, that's when you you text your friend, SOS, can we talk? Um, you know, it's a process so you can move around, but like reach out and create community. And I consider community, like anyone who shows up for this Facebook Live or watches this Facebook Live, listens to the Do It Scared podcast, like you, that is a form of reaching out and creating community. You're trying to put yourself in a community of people like Ruth who are up to, you know, hey, there's a vision here for, mm-hmm. you know, where you want to go. And I support that vision. That can also be people in real life. That can also be, you know, 12-step meetings. That can also be, you know, a whole load of things. But like fear thrives in isolation and it diminishes in community. So and true. some of my favorite research was really about how, Like goal setting when you enlist other people, even if they just know about the goal, like there's some research that says that you're more likely to achieve the goal and that you're more satisfied with the process, no no matter the outcome. And to me, that's the ultimate win. Absolutely. That's so interesting. And that's, I mean, that's something I talk about so much is accountability and putting people, people in your life that are going to pour into you, speak truth to you and hold you accountable in, in those kind of ways and, um, form your truth club is what I call it. And that's exactly actually what our doing it scared community is all about. It's about creating that community because what I hear back from my, from my audience so often is Ruth, you talk about having a community of people, like-minded people who are pushing you to be better, but I don't feel like I have that in my life. I can't, I have a hard time making friends or I have a hard time finding those people. Where do I find those people? And so that's why we started um, doing, it's called doing it scared, our members only community, which is exactly for that purpose to be that place where you can go and find other people who can be that support for you. It's so good. Well, that's a huge component of, you know, the coach training program that I run. Like you could teach and, you know, you could teach people the skill set of coaching and the certification and all of that and just go, uh, here you go. This is mirroring. Here you go. This is asking powerful questions. Here are the ICF core competencies. But I really believe that like the community component of it all has to be really central to how people learn and move through their own experiences of fear. And so true. I just, I love that you provide that. And it's, it's so true. The reaching out and creating community pieces, like big, big, huge, big, big, huge, huge, huge. So can you talk a little bit about the role that fear has played in your own life? And even like, we talked about it a little bit, but I'm just, I'm just curious, like what is something that has really scared you and how did you move past that fear or, or work with it so that you could do what you wanted to do? Well, I'm thinking of, I mean, 
it's interesting because I kind of categorize them a little differently. So it's like, like things that scare me more than anything in the entire world would, would be like losing my daughter, you know, losing Mm -hmm. my husband, you know, right. Like that would be, but that's not necessarily a fear that one works with on a regular daily basis, right? (laughs) Like if I'm being completely vulnerable, like that's the depth of it, right? you know, but then there's the stuff you work with. And I would say that, um, you know, I get into a lot of fear um, that I have to work with around business stuff. You know, it's like the, um, and, and I don't know totally, you know, all the details of like your business, but over here for me, it's managing a team. You know, we have a bunch of, for my coach certification, we have a number of lead coaches who help me to facilitate. My hands mm-hmm. are in everything, but they help. So it's like a team of basically, 13 people Mm. and feeling the fear of if I have a launch that doesn't go as expected, if sales slow of one of my programs, um, you know, it doesn't feel like it's just me. It also feels like this can impact someone else's bottom line. Yeah. And I don't want that to be the case. I can And then sometimes (laughs) there's like interpersonal stuff where like someone else's communication style on the team like 80% of the time things are good, but there's that 20% of the time where like things aren't clicking and I feel out of my depth with a skill set because I I don't have formal HR training in like management and all the different types of personalities. Like I just know kind of how I show up and I meet someone and we work together. Like it's very, you know, duct tape and glue a lot a lot of times. The entrepreneur life making it up yes. as you go along. <laughs> yeah. So and true. that's when you figure out like, oh, this piece isn't working, but I don't necessarily have a framework for what I want to mm-hmm. do next. And for me, that's where I keep coming back to the tools. It's like okay, what am I feeling right now? How do I access the body during this, you know, tough conversation with this person about a work deliverable? And um, I really do believe that often, you know, when people talk about feeling your energy, what, what they mean is that like who you are tends to walk about 10 feet in front of you into any room. So if I walk into a conversation with someone where a deliverable wasn't met and I'm just sitting there pissed and resentful, but I'm going, now let's talk. And I'm like sounding all, you know, like they're not dumb. They're going to figure out yeah. that I'm pissed. Yeah. So I want to try to do something about that before I'm in the conversation with them. You gotcha. know, it's also like listening without attachment. What are my fears about if I can't have this conversation or that deliverable wasn't met? How do I reframe it? How do I enlist them as a team member? And, um, when I fail at that, perfectionism totally comes up. It totally comes up as like, if I had been more patient, if I had been nicer, if I had thought about it more, if I had worked harder to figure out what was needed, you know, which, like, and there you go again, there's the work all over again. Like I got to access the body and (laughs) all the things. So when you're doing, it has to become a life orientation. I mean, it was interesting as you were talking because you were, you, it's funny because as you were talking about your business, you're like, I don't have a framework, which is such a rule follower thing to say. Like, I would love to have a framework. I'd love to have a path to take, but (laughs) you've done what's so interesting to me is that like, you've worked so much on this stuff that you have really overcome that, like internal tendency of yours of the like the rule follower tendency to want things to be just so and so that begs the question then like does fear like are you living proof that you can kind of not fully eliminate fear but greatly lessen it in your life 
I think so. I mean, I think the most courageous thing that I do is that, that anyone can do is to let the truth of who they are on the inside be how they actually live on the outside. And, uh, you know, the paradox is that the more you are willing to be with the fear, the less it controls you, even though it still is going to show up. So it's like, I'm sitting here right now. And like, I know that right now, as we're recording this, that I have a situation with someone I work with right now who they are not happy with me and I'm not happy with them. And like, at the same time, like I'm sitting here and I know that I'm messing up certain parts of conversations that, that we're having. And I also know that I'm being great in certain parts of conversations that we're having, right? Like I'm, I'm doing my very best. I'm being as conscious and intentional as I can. And I also know that who I am on the inside is I love this person. I don't, I am, I'm totally able to separate. Like there's a working piece here that's not working for me, but there's like who you are as a human being. And I love you and it's fine. (laughs) And so like, that is the truth of who I am. I am a mixed bag. You're going to hang out with me and you're not going to like some of my opinions and you're going to hang out with me. And you know what, that self-righteousness that you might not like when I get on my political soapbox, it's the same self-righteousness that if anybody messes with you, I'm like, I'm in your corner. You are good enough. I don't give a shit what they said to you. I believe in you. Yeah. And there's a ferocity to that, that, um, that I don't think I had been, I was as willing to claim, you know, if, you know, there was a long time where it was just really like, I can't let that part come out or that part will come out or, Hmm. Or yeah, I can't show up to the conversation until I have the perfect framework. This rule follower thing is so interesting to me. I love that I'm learning more about myself just by coming on your podcast. Isn't it so true? And now you'll start to see, now you'll start to see those patterns. It's so funny. It's so like, it's, it's kind of like rocked my world over the last couple of years and realizing things about myself that I don't know I wanted to learn, but have been really good. So just a couple rapid fire questions here. First of all, how do you personally practice self-care in your life and business? Is there anything that you specifically do to help build and protect your confidence? Yes. Um, a couple things. One, keep people around you who know the truth of who you are, who like, mm, you know, they've seen you be out of integrity before and they'll call you on that. But like, they don't think that one time you're out of integrity defines who you are. So that's one thing. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two, meditation. And I'm at the point with meditation daily where it's like, you know, people do the thing, well, I didn't do my meditation practice today, but you know, I did it yesterday. It's fine. It's like, no, you would not eat yesterday and then be like, I'm good for the week. I don't need to eat again. No, no. (laughs) Like, and then people would go, you know, well, you know, food is different. If you don't eat, you'll be starving. And I'm going, no, meditation is no different. If you are not doing it daily, you are spiritually starving. Like there is hmm. just a space that has to be carved out for that. And I'm, I'm very adamant and self-righteous about that. Apparently. Very self-righteous. <laughs> well, that's another rule follower trait, you know, being, oh, is it? being oh, self-righteous. Well, about um, another thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that I would say is a big self-care uh, piece is, is actually like some kind of physical, you know, like catharsis deal. I mean, like, yeah, I mentioned CrossFit. CrossFit's my, mm-hmm. my thing. I go yeah. almost every day. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's Those a good CrossFit way to, people, you, you CrossFitters are like real gung ho about that. 
it's, I know I know several people who are into CrossFit. I'm like, oh, more well, power I, to you. Not I find my it thing. like really um, <laughs> like you know, it's it's the thing I talked about, like you know, screaming into a towel. Like yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Like when you're really picking up a heavy weight, it's this kind of like like a, aggression. And I like having a space where it's just like you can just, I don't know, throw things around or jump on things or kick things or I, I don't know. It's, it works for me. <laughs> I used to do triathlon and, um, oh, wow. you know, yeah. like that CrossFit no though has my heart now. That's amazing. So what are you working on right now that has you really fired up? Hmm. Oh, it's a great time to ask this question. I, I'm working on sitting with an in-between space and not having a new thing, thing, Ooh. thing to work on. I'm, Is that scary? Yeah, yeah. I can see totally. that. Totally. I mean, like, you know, the Courage Habit came out in 2018. And people don't necessarily, like, getting a book published through a traditional publisher, like, it's a glacial process compared to, um, yes. you know, self-publishing or <laughs> DIY. Like, it took two years from signing to actual publication, which I'm, I'm not complaining about or knocking. That's just the process. Yeah. And then it was like, you know, so the book came out. I went on book tour. I did a ton of podcast promo. Um, even just a couple months ago, Book Riot was naming it, yay, one of the top books on habits. Like all these great things still awesome. happen. And I love having a good project. And um but I really want to sit with the fact that like, oh, this is my baby still, you know, it's yeah. not like even a toddler yet. It's, it's yeah. a baby. Um, so, so that's the, the space I'm sitting at. It's like, how do you just be in the in-between? Hmm, that's food for thought for me. For sure. Maybe, maybe somebody else who likes a good project I'm talking to here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just food for thought. Cause I have, my book is coming out in two weeks and I understand exactly like what you're saying. It's a huge, like such a lengthy process, especially when you're doing all this research in it. And that's kind of how I feel too. Like I, what's, what's next? Like, do I even think about what's next? No, I don't think I can yet. But like for somebody who's like futuristic and driven, I'm like, but I want to think about what's next. So it's been, that's been interesting. It's excellent timing for your book to come out in May. I vote take three months off after, (laughs) after you're done with the initial month of promo. Thank you. I will take that. I think I'm going to take that advice or at least taking it somewhat easy for a couple months. So what is the, we ask this question every single time, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received and why? Mm -hmm. Don't take it personally. I love that. It's the hardest advice for me not to, for me to follow because um, nine times out of 10, like, like I'm pretty intentional. Like if I, if I, if I, if I'm mad, like I didn't usually just like get mad and like, da, 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 like you knew mad was coming. So it kind of is personal, <laughs> you know? And if I like wildly adore you, like I've put thought, yeah. I don't just like wildly adore anyone. If I wildly adore you, like there was thought put into that too. It's personal. Yeah. I wildly adore you. <laughs> so it's hard to, to kind of go, Oh, like when other people, you know, do stuff, it isn't necessarily personal. Um, that's so, a hard one for yeah. me too, but I'm an outcast. So I tend to reject my, my deepest fear is rejection, which means I reject other people before they can reject me. Mm. So yeah, that's, 
but I find I do take things personally. And that's where one of the like really big lessons that I've had to learn is that it's not all personal and it's not all about me. So I love that. It's really good advice. I'm going to remind myself. So finally, last question, where can we find you online? Oh, um, yourcourageouslife.com. You want to learn about the Courageous Living Coach Certification. That is at teamclcc.com. And I'm Kate Courageous basically everywhere, like on Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest, except on Facebook where I'm Your Courageous Life again. Perfect. Um, so if you search for Kate Swoboda, Courage Habit, Your Courageous Life, or Courageous Living Coach <laughs> Certification, you're going to find me. <laughs> okay. Or you can go to the show notes and we will link to all of those yes, things in the show that's notes that's the too. better part. That's the better <laughs> thing to do. Probably just as easy. All right. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so great, so helpful. And um, you're doing such good, important work. And I know it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Mm, thank you for having me. Okay, guys, so don't forget that if you would like to get all the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything that we talked about, you can find it all at doitscared.com slash episode 62. Once again, get all the show notes and links on our website at doitscared.com slash episode 62. And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, that I love, 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 love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other questions that you would just like to ask me, any topics you would like to see addressed on the Do It Scared podcast, any feedback about the style of podcast episode that you like to hear, please feel free to reach out either via email. You can email me at ruth at ruthsukup.com or by messaging me on Instagram. I want your feedback. I'm asking for it. So lay it on me, people. All right, that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Sukup podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or better yet, share this episode on your Insta story and tag me to let me know. In fact, the best thing of all would be if you want to do both. And if I repost your story, we will send you a Do It Scared t-shirt just for fun. Also, be sure to subscribe either on iTunes or wherever you like to listen so that you are always notified of new episodes, which, by the way, in case you're wondering, come out first thing Monday mornings. And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week as we continue our Summer of Courage stories with another amazing interview. We will be talking to author and business coach Michael O'Brien about realizing your own potential and declaring your last bad day. It's something he knows all too well, and his story is absolutely incredible and so, so inspiring. Definitely one you do not want to miss, and I will catch you then. <laughs>